We are parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Hello again, I'm Marlon Detweiler, and you've joined us on Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Today we have with us a longtime friend and one of the people that I first met when getting involved in classical Christian education, Chris Schlecht. Welcome, Chris. Marlon, it's a privilege to be here. Thank you so much. And it's great to see you again, even if virtually. Yeah, it's been uh, uh, been a few years since we've uh, uh, had this kind of interaction. Uh, Chris is joining us, I believe, from his office uh, at uh, New St. Andrews in uh, Moscow, Idaho. I am in my car uh, because we're traveling and I wanted to get this taped. So here we are. Uh, That's right. And avoiding avoiding hurricanes, I understand. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was recent. That wasn't uh, this week. Uh, but anyway, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. Uh, growing up, family and that sort of thing. I have enjoyed, by the way, interactions with your folks, which I remember fondly when staying with you uh, years ago. But tell us a little bit about your background, family and uh, education. Yeah, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest most of my growing up. And uh, a wonderful family. I'm privileged to be uh, one of three boys. My poor mom had to suffer <laughs> through that. Something that Lori can no doubt relate to. Yeah. Maybe that's the source of connection there. The, the, the mom dealing with a lot of testosterone in the family. <laughs> it, it was uh, really funny because Lori was an only child and her mother was an only child. So it, and, and she was a great grandma. I, I, I great grandma sounds uh, a formal. She was a wonderful grandma. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we can relate to that. That's right. But uh, I've now uh, been married to Brenda for we're pushing uh, approaching 40 years. And uh, we've got five kids, all five of our kids um, are graduates of Logos school, classical Christian educated, all of their spouses. Um, also, have received a classical Christian education, and now we have thirteen grandkids, and number fourteen is on the way. Wow! So, and you, so you grew up in Olympia, Washington, if I remember correctly. That makes you a Mariners fan. Uh, I am a Mariners fan, and we are. There is a pretty intense uh, race in the AL West right now. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, and you went to school. I well, you tell us you went to school started working and then went back to school. Give us a little sense of that. Yeah, I've, uh, I got my undergraduate uh, degree at Washington State University um, and started in- Not far from where you live, actually. 10 miles that's right. That's, that's what actually brought me into this area is my undergraduate work. Um, and so now I'm in Moscow, Idaho, which is just eight miles away from Washington State University. We're right on the Idaho-Washington border here. And uh, so I- um, I wound up changing to history from engineering and then started ultimately getting involved as a teacher at Logos School and then pursued graduate work. I uh, got a master's degree at University of Idaho, went back and uh, completed doctoral work again at Washington State University and wound up teaching some of the classes that I used to take. So <laughs> that, that's great. That's great. So you're your career started 
did it well let me ask you as a question logos school the subject school of the book recovering the lost tools of learning mm -hmm. was the school that you were teaching at when we first met back in 1996 that, that were, sounds about right yeah you were teaching there but did, when did you start teaching there you were not there when it started were you no, I was I was not there when Logos started, although I do remember when Doug was writing the book. In fact, I I have this memory of walking into his office. Uh, his office was there at the school and he had just gotten off the phone uh, with the a administrator in New York parochial schools, Catholic parochial schools. I remember the story in the book. I know where this is going. This, yeah, this yeah, the story's in the book. Uh, and he had just gotten off the phone, and I remember, and so the story he relates is in the book, basically uh describe, you know, he had asked how many people work in administration, and this is the state of New York, a pretty large parochial system. And the person just stood up in the cubicle and counted heads, uh, <laughs> uh, which which in terms of administrative bloat and scale was a striking contrast to the comparable public school system. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's true. anyway, I, but that, that just dates me. You're just trying to date me as an old geezer. And hey, uh, I've been married but, longer than you. I know I'm older than you. So I'm, I got nothing on you on that. <laughs> that that's right. But I, I am, I, I am a historian, but I'm also the artifact. I'm getting used to that now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So what was your first, Logos started in 81? That sounds about right. Yeah, I started there in 90, 91. I started there part-time. I actually did a short stint as a youth minister. I've done a number of, of things uh, through my career and had a short stint as a youth minister, wound up wound up teaching at Logos and uh, and ultimately stuck with it. And eventually I moved from Logos to New St. Andrews, I was, uh, and, which is where my day job is now. I continue to be involved in Logos now as a granddad. Uh, <laughs> my grandkids are there. Um, and I also help them out with some teacher training activities and such, and I've got good relationships there. Well, as you uh, you know, and maybe uh, many of our listeners, Tom Garfield was the, I think the title was called superintendent at that point, yes. we would use the term headmaster. Uh, and he, having retired after 30 some years there, now works for us uh, in our online school. But I'm curious if you have a really good story about it. Oh, yes. Tom is and continues to be a good friend. His... Uh, his daughters babysat my kids. Oh, uh, my. And I remember being at sports events where, you know, the Logos basketball team, my son would be playing and he and I would wind up talking about pedagogy. Uh, Tom and I have had so many rich conversations about teaching and pedagogy. And I, I admire him greatly. Um, I do remember uh, one thing I did for 24 years at Logos is I coached a mock trial team. And our mock trial team uh, was fairly successful. We won a number of state championships and we were in a national tournament. And this was the one time that Tom actually joined the team so that he could observe the, the team at the national tournament. And so I remember this well, uh, it's a very intense tournament. We, we get our draw and we're making our way 
into the courthouse. And there we are with the team and Tom's with me. And then Tom just suddenly turns ashen white. And it's very awkward uh, and says, Chris, I got to go. And just leaves us hanging there. I mean, I, I was the coach. I shepherded the kids through. But as the chaperone, I'm thinking, I lost a kid. It's Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Tom didn't say what's going on. What was this, a bathroom emergency? What is like? I've got a kid that's gone astray. He just bolted. And uh, come to find out later, Tom was carrying a gun, concealed oh, no. carrying a gun, <laughs> and we're and uh, we were going through courthouse security, and he just put two and two together and bolted out of there before he would get caught because that would have created an incident. So I'm grateful that he got out of there. There was no incident; he just wound up late. But that was the. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. That. I'm sure that's happened many times in many security places, but it doesn't happen often to us, does it? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. When you're going through, it's, it's kind of like an airport security situation when you're going into a courthouse. Uh, so was Logos yeah. School a dangerous place that he needed? To... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, um, a dangerous place. And as we all know, there's been some tragedies and such, you know, security is uh, more and more of an issue and concern for parents. Right. Um, and uh, so one of the things that many schools do is is train and equip uh, some of their staff, um, be sure they're duly trained so that's, they can. That's funny. So <laughs> the kind of double as security guard. As su superintendents are kind of everything, you know, they have right. to wash up, they need to repair the plumbing. And so he also is the gun toting. I mean, we are in North <laughs> Idaho after all. So it's it is the Wild West. I have been there, and and while I grew up in the East, I I have grown to appreciate the differences and understand the Wild West a little bit. Uh, That's right. And with Tom Garfield out here, it's a little bit wilder. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Tell us though, seriously, uh, Logos was really the flagship school and, and laid the groundwork, the book recovering lost tools of learning. We think of as the seminal work and reestablishing classical Christian education. Tell us what your impressions were as you all were put in a place of not only teaching that way, but then also training and encouraging schools around the country and, and eventually around the world. Well, Doug, wrote that book that came out i think it was 91 um right. and and i think in the aftermath of that that's how you and i met uh the book clearly touched a nerve um i think that the it, it's a good book i don't think that the book had a unique genius to it it also it, there was also a ferment of dissatisfied parents around the country that the book really spoke to it's a you know, you ask, you can ask uh, to explain Beatlemania. Was that the genius of John, Paul, George, and Ringo, or was it the cultural ferment at the time? Yeah. And I think. Is it the answer? About, yes. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes. And so there's that, there's that, the success of that book, I don't think can be reducible to the book itself, but to some of the things that were then current. So the book really just met this need. Um, like good humor, timing is everything. Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, there were culture wars, curriculum wars back in those, back in that era. 
Um, we can talk about creation evolution, um, health classes, and the sex ed as it was presenting at that time. You know, those are in the those are in the Reagan and then the Elder Bush years. Um, so, and we can we can go into the the memories of that time, but it really struck a nerve. And here I was teaching at Logos School, which was just the local Christian school and kind of the way that it's done. And then this sort of happens, yeah. right? And so it attracts attention, and I'm just this yokel guy who, and then people are saying, hey, what do you do and why, which actually contributed a lot toward my own understanding of classical Christian education. If, if people are saying, hey, why do you do what you do and why, I have to formulate it too. I'd say I learned just as much about classical education from people who were interested in asking about it. Um, as from any other source, you know, from people like you who say, why, what, explain, give an account. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What, um, what do you think today we see, you know, classical Christian education became a popular idea, just like right. an evangelical in the seventies and people wanted to embrace that term. And now this term, but many mm -hmm. times want to define it. Uh, differently, and of course, uh, it's not a uh, a term that uh, you or I or anyone owns the rights to, uh, and can say this is what it is without uh, uh, exception. Uh, but what what do you think makes the brand of classical Christian education that comes out of recovering the lost tools of learning that is what you embrace substantially? It is what I embrace substantially. What are the distinctives that you've seen that you all were able to um, transmit to others through the influence that the book gave you at Logos? Yeah, I would say that as I've reflected on this, um, and then I'll first react to the framing of the question. You're absolutely right, Marlon, that there are different definitions that are put forward out there. I've I've tried to study and reflect upon those. And then as an infrastructure develops around classical education in the form of publishing houses, organizations, and now there are, you know, there's Roman Catholic classical school organizations. There are, there are classical non-Christian organizations. There's the classical charter schools. So we've got, uh, the word is out there. And I think you're right to characterize it as branding as well. But uh, I like your question. Uh, I do think in classical Christian education, if you put all of those definitions together, you see difference in emphases and such. And each institution or organization does need to define the term for themselves. Uh, I think you see three elements. Um, the first uh, element is that uh, it's historically rooted. There is a classical educators are convinced down to their bones that the educators of the past um, had something to say that we need to pay attention to. We're not reenactors. We're not worth, trying to re worth emulating. Yeah, exactly. We're not trying to recreate monastic schools here. We're called to 2023. Um, that's where God's placed us yet. Uh, you know, Chesterton's democracy of the dead, you know, they get a vote and we, there's a due deference here. So, uh, which, 
And that historical impulse then turns us against some of the progressive models of education that are much more utilitarian and functional um, that are that came into vogue 100 years ago. So, so that would be first as a historic rootedness. Um, a second is is uh, a, the end or goal or purpose, uh, which is not to create technicians and functionaries, but to create free people who are virtuous and and a solidly and distinctively Christian understanding of virtue. Um, you know, so love of, love of God, love neighbor. Um, you know, the classical virtues of prudence and fortitude and justice and temperance that, uh, that are understood in a Christian way, not just in a vanilla sort of way. So uh, the formation of the whole person of the child, uh, rather than just harnessing their labor for skill. Okay? Yeah. And then the, then the third impulse uh, has to do with certain intellectual, intellectual skills that classical education seeks to inculcate uh, with critical thinking, with a, fa a facility with language, a capacity to express language. And so I would say those are those would be the three, the historical rootedness, the teaching for Christian virtue, and then the intellectual skills. And they're the kind of intellectual skills that are not tailored to any particular job, but rather to the formation of the human to, yeah. to yeah. love God and love neighbor. As I hear you say those three, I can't think of a significant, I can't even think of any exception, quite honestly, but I'm couching my words a little bit, but I can't think of a real exception to that in any of the versions that I see. Uh, even the secular version would seek out the good, true, and the beautiful. They just may right. not call God the God the author. Uh, right. And, and so that, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian values uh, sometimes take on uh, a life of their own without God, as if that could be, but they do uh, right. in some, uh, uh, some sense. And so I think that includes everyone. Can you easily then, sounds to me like uh, you're used to doing this, and so I hope this question comes off your uh, tongue pretty quickly too. Can you easily articulate then how we would be distinctive, how you would be distinctive in your further uh, uh, inculcation of classical Christian education with the institutions you've been a part of? Yeah, with uh, I, I work here at New St. Andrews with a wonderful faculty. Um, a college. And, well, hopefully we'll have time to talk about that a little bit, uh, but uh, we're going on a good run here. We may not get there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We can maybe just need to go back and talk about Tom Garfield running a straight. <laughs> But we've got that in common. Yeah. Trying to corral Tom Garfield. Um, no, I would, I would say uh, a distinctive understanding of what the arts are and a distinctive understanding of what the humanities are. These are terms of art that, and, and I've written on this. In fact, I've got a paper that I've published. I think you're aware of it. Uh, called "What Is a Liberal Art." Uh, these are terms that are sloppily thrown around, um, and I'm happy with some flexibility and play in the joints with everyday conversation, right? But if we're practitioners of education and we call ourselves liberal arts, and if we if we devote ourselves to the humanities, 
then we need to drill down into what actually we mean by that. You know, the terms of art that define or constitutive of what we are. So here at New St. Andrews College, we have a degree in liberal arts and culture. What is a liberal art to us? Is it the same thing that the University of Texas means when they have a college of liberal arts? Um, you know, that. so when you're asking about distinctives, I would point to liberal arts and humanities. Um, but then I would move to the, those are terms that are uh, in regular education, educators' vocabulary, but we've sought to really define what we do and don't mean by those terms. Um, so, and I can go further into that if you'd like, but I think, you asked I, I think, I think we would benefit from that. Maybe um, a brief um, uh, path taken uh, on the distinctives that would be typical of the classical education that we uh, embrace and espouse. Yeah, well, uh, liberal arts instruction, uh, first of all, the liberal arts are arts, which is a term that I think not many people understand or reflect upon. What's an art? Um, and art is, and this goes back to Aristotle, and it's carried through the tradition. It's reason that's ordered to production. Um, different than a science, which is a body of knowledge, um, it's it's Wonderful reason. Distinction. That, that's, really, that's really well put. That resonates. <laughs> Yeah, so um, a mechanic is applies his human reason. He's got techniques and rules that's ordered to the repair of a car. Or a baker is an artist who there's precepts, principles. You can you can apply reason to actually improve your recipes. It's reason, but it's ordered to the production of bread or something. So that's what an art is. Um, it's reason, order to production. And there are different kinds of arts. There's fine arts. There's mechanical arts. Then the liberal arts are a category of arts within that. Um, and so we, if it's an art, it's reason that's ordered to the production of something. And the something that sets apart liberal arts over against other types of arts is that what it's productive of is further knowledge. If you've mastered the liberal arts, then you can go anywhere in the domain of knowledge in sort of a self-directed way. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's, so that's, that's what makes a, a liberal art different than a mechanical art, different than a fine art or something like that. That's really good. I don't want to, I don't want to miss the opportunity. So I'm going to jump to where you went. Uh, at some point you transitioned from Logos School to NSA, New St. Andrews, uh, college, and that's where you are today. What do you do there? How long have you been, and and what are you uh, producing there? Right. Well, at New St. Andrews, first of all, it uh, I kind of wound up straddling. I never fully left Logos until just a couple of years ago. It just uh, Logos continued to be a side hustle for me <laughs> uh, for many years, um, and good relationships there. But at New St. Andrews. I am the head of the humanities department. Okay. I'm the director of a graduate program in classical Christian studies. And then my mainstay bread and butter is I teach history. I teach uh, rhetoric and I also teach education there. Um, what are you seeing? You've been at NSA how long? I've been there since the, uh, since the mid nineties, uh, pretty close to the founding. Yeah, so a very long enough to see a progression. What progression have you seen in students coming in and students going out 
today as opposed to 20 some years ago? Yeah, and Merlin, I think this is uh, something that you and I can relate to just given our age. It's fascinating to see students who are indigenous to social media and technology. Oh, man. Who, who were not in the 1990s. Think about the internet being nascent in the 1990s. Um, and it didn't order or organize life back in the 1990s in the way it was starting to, but. Uh, very different, very different. Very different, yeah. And I, so that would be, that would be one important thing. Um, I would say another interesting, meaningful development, and this goes back just a, a couple of years ago with COVID, with the disruption surrounding uh you know, race and critical theory, Black Lives Matter and all of that, uh, Donald Trump, um, it's it's uh, created a serious balkanization um, in our culture. Everyone recognizes that. Uh, and so uh, colleges like New St. Andrews that are fairly distinctive have been around a while, but seem much more of an attractive option than uh, to people than it used to, I think because of the environment, there's a, uh, a lot of the changes we experience are, I would suggest are environmental and cultural as we do our thing amidst these forces that are swirling around us. Yeah. Has the, um, the, uh, I resident, I hesitate to use this term, but I will, the quality of the student changed as a result of more classical education in a K-12 world, how, how has the, the typical student uh, yeah. evolved over that 20 some years? I, I would say that it's, that it's mixed. Um, I think that there, there's definitely an increased awareness of classical Christian education, respect for it. Uh, you don't have to sort of explain what classical education is as much. Uh, and so that's, that's very good. Um, I would say, though, on the on the flip side of that, that I do, and I think this is a this is a parenting challenge within the church broadly. That uh, I think uh, a lot of young people are are less equipped to uh, handle life because I think parents have been intervening um, too much without letting the kids actually fend for themselves a little bit. Like I can give you an, an illustration, you know, um, when we get a lot more calls from parents with questions about an application, why isn't the applicant calling us? <laughs> you know, if I've got a, uh, if, if I, if the Dean gives me some kind of task and I've got a question about it, should my mother, who you referred to earlier, Joan Schleck, should Joan Schleck call the dean and say, hey, I'm trying to figure this out? <laughs> yeah. Dilly noted, I was a little bit afraid that I was going to be insulting some level of students. So let me just say I, I endured that insult at one point in my life. Just uh, parenthetically, my college golf coach, I, went, I played golf at NC State, and my college golf coach was also my son's college golf coach. Uh, yes. One of my sons. And. I remember him telling me one time, 
uh, the, I asked him what the difference was. He says, today I get, referring to the time when my son was playing, which is years ago now, but today I get better athletes. I didn't know how to take that. Yeah. That's <laughs> so anyway, I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just trying to really understand. Right. That's, that's really helpful. Uh, so uh, maybe in, in closing, I'd like to hear you say uh, some words about parenting as it relates mm -hmm. to preparing kids for college and adult life. Because you are in, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that college serves as a transition place for many students from complete or substantial dependence to substantial independence right. and is the walking ground in between there, the transition period, where right. you know, many parents pay for their kids' education, many parents mm -hmm. influence that process, many parents, uh, at least their freshman year, come and help them move in. Uh, there are lots of uh, dependent activities that are the first steps of transition, but you have some interesting thoughts, I'm sure, on what we might do better as parents. Yeah, I think that that really, it starts uh, as the kids approach their teenage years. College kids, of course, need parents. I need parents too. I mean, the, and the fifth commandment um, is attached to promises that would go well with us, you know, so we all need our parents. Um, but the, uh, the choreography of parenting needs to start shifting as kids enter their teenage years where the kids are doing more and then they, and then the parents actually, uh, need to be coming alongside them and coaching them. So I'll try to illustrate it this way. Like my daughter's, uh, in high school, they worked at Qdoba, you know, that chain. Sure. Yep. Good Mexican food. Yeah, good Mexican food. That was uh that was so important to parenting them. They would, you know, the home is this oasis, this place where you get your moorings, but send them out from home on these little sorties, like, okay, you're slapping together burritos, and they would they would encounter the 22-year-old college girl who has got an abusive boyfriend. And the guy on drug rehab who's 40, who's still working in the Qdoba kitchen, dealing with these life issues and some of the challenges and problems and coming back and we would coach them up. You know, home is yeah. Yeah. home and parenting is really good. But if and here's here's a litmus test. If the if the adults your teenagers are dealing with are preeminently you, then that's kind of a problem. You want the teenagers out there dealing with other things. And then you as the parent are with them, standing with them, coaching them as they're outward facing. Yeah, that's really so, good. That's really good. We, boy, we could go a long time. I wanted to hear more about mock trial, a wonderful uh, activity for classically educated kids uh, and maybe some other time. But for now, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Marlon, it's a it's a delight to take a car ride with you. I remember one, <laughs> I haven't one been moving. <laughs> that's right. One car ride I remember taking with you is that you got me late to the airport and I missed my flight. Oh boy, don't remind me of that. I still feel bad about that. You didn't tell me until months later, uh, so so as to uh, preserve a little dignity for me. But I am so sorry about that. But thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was probably 15 years ago. But it's great to be in your car yeah. once again, Marlon, and I'd love to do it again. Folks, you've been with us uh, with Chris Schlecht on Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Thank you for joining us.